0: Welcome to Podcasts for Social Entrepreneurs. I'm Digby Chaxfield, and I'm going to, before the next episode, and you sit back and relax and enjoy the dulcet tones of one of our incredible social entrepreneurs, I wanted to just introduce why I started Podcasts for Social Entrepreneurs. I've worked in and around and been involved with charity, voluntary, community development, social enterprise since I was very young the last 15 years, I've helped set up social enterprises, worked with social entrepreneurs and and have been on the board of various people. In society today, solving the problems that we face is a very complicated and disorganised and slightly chaotic system. Today's society faces multiple problems and the solutions are complicated. They are not organised. They are slightly chaotic. We have a strong, historically unique, centralised system using the NHS and education and government-led initiatives. But those statutory services very seldom reach the wider fringes or tackle all of the problems that society's faced. We're underpinned by huge amount of support from volunteers giving up their time, energy and often money to support those types of services that we, we know and we love. There's also charities who target specific groups and gather financial resources to help that. And in the UK, we have a a prolific and very successful charitable sector. What I'm very interested in is another aspect to all of this the people who lead some of those solutions, the social entrepreneurs. I set this podcast up to share their stories and to give you an insight into the human being at the center of change, of how somebody has used their experiences, whether they've worked in a particular sector or whether they've been affected by issues, how their influences on their life, which are multiple from work um, to childhood, how they've taken that, identified a problem that they want to solve in society and then worked relentlessly to try and come up with a solution. The social entrepreneurs that I've worked with and know and love are often very creative in the way that they try and solve these problems it is not just a case of getting a loan starting a business and then solving the problem if only um, the way that social entrepreneurs galvanize different resources from different places to try and solve a problem and also the solutions themselves the social enterprises when you hear about the way that each individual social entrepreneur has set up and run their business. It is a very creative process. The insights that I want to draw out are kind of fall into three rough categories. One is that human story, or the story of the person who has facilitated and enabled a change um, and taken big risk to make a difference and drive towards a social goal. The other side of it is a little bit more around the mechanics of how have they created, if you've created a social enterprise How does it function? What does it do? What is the operational side of that? And then the last bit is really about the business model. Social enterprise, unlike uh, the majority of traditional charities, uses a blend of income, uh, whether that's income through trade, whether that's commissions, whether that's contracts, partnerships or traditional fundraising approaches and grant income so i want to learn and and share insights that people have found uh, you know how have they found those business models that work for them so that's it but you can find more information and you can get in touch with me um at podcasts number 4 sockent or at diggschacks i promise if you sneak into my dms i will get back in touch with you and share what i know i hope you enjoy the podcasts and I look forward to any messages that you might have and suggestions for future work. In this episode of Podcasts for Social Entrepreneurs, we meet Olive Quinton. One of today's biggest challenges is the development of workforce and work-ready young people. Olive works with vulnerable young people and struggles with little or no qualifications, little or no money, or family support, and move them to a place where they are confident, intelligent, has created the most amazing social enterprise that supports these young people to move themselves from a place of often desperation, work-ready young people, um, and enjoying themselves. Olive's programmes make a hell of a difference to many people's lives and the work that the young people do to support hoarders and older people who need help decluttering is magnificent. Olive solves multiple social through her challenges pragmatic, positive and supportive approach. This episode falls into roughly three sections. You'll hear about Olive and her story and the influences that she's had to move her to feel confident to work in this type of way. You'll hear how Lofty Heights works. For me, the operational approaches that Olive takes routes to employment for vulnerable young people. You'll also hear a little bit about her business model. You can find more information about Olive at lofty underscore heights. Enjoy the pod. I'm sitting with Olive Quinton, founding chief executive of Lofty Heights, which has been running for six years, Um, and we're going to talk all things Olive and all things Lofty Heights. So, Olive, welcome to the podcast, and please tell me, I think we'll start with a little bit about your, your social impact and what Lofty Heights is set up to do.
1: Okay, well... That's an easy question, <laughs> um, I set up Lofty Heights to give employment and training opportunities to very vulnerable young people who have not got a chance of employment and the reason I did that was because I think how can you improve your future life chances if you don't have an opportunity for work, how can you reduce your risk of homelessness and um, all of those things that young people aspire to do if you haven't got the money to do it yeah
0: and so why young people um
1: well it was because where did it? it all start well it started because when i had a proper job
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes
1: um so what my, was your proper job my background really is it is in community development and i started Work in that field a long time ago uh, in London, and the first job that I had working with young people was actually running an adventure playground Wow on the North Peckham estate in london and that 's the estate that Damiona Taylor oh. was killed on. so had lots and lots of social issues lots of lots of problems, lots of very vulnerable people and disadvantaged people and a whole heap of very good people um but they were kind of um uh oh i don't know what the word is tarnished um by where they lived and there was kind of assumptions made about if you lived on the north peckham estate you were the bottom of the pile and no hope and all that
0: sort of stuff and residents um were aware of that
1: Yeah, and very transient community. They thought they were a transient community because it was always like, I'm not going to be living here long. But actually they were there for many years. Yeah. So that was quite interesting.
0: So you are running an adventure playground.
1: Yeah.
0: That's that's amazing. Uh, That must have given you quite a unique insight because when people are playing, the guards usually let down and and you can see... Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. Learning through play and all that was a kind of... uh, kind of jargon term at the time. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, learning through play. But actually it it was pretty amazing because um, we would open at 12 o'clock in the day. That was quite nice not to have a nine to five job. And we'd work through to eight o'clock at night, a summer and winter, bitter, bitter, bitter cold nights. And you'd always have a group of kids that would come on and they'd be the kids that perhaps who didn't have anyone at home. Yeah. Um. We had a lot of kids that we actually fed on the playground, um, because they weren't getting fed properly at home. And I remember one time that we uh, did a trip to the seaside, we uh, saved up and hired a coach and took a load of kids from the North Peckham estate off to the seaside, and for some it was the first time they'd ever seen the yeah. sea. And two little boys, little brothers, we actually dressed out of the lost property box because they turned up so p- poorly clad and dirty and everything yeah. that what we had in the lost property box was better than, than what we they turned away, up yeah. in. Um, so I've always loved working with people in that... And and just
0: in that was kind that of... Was parents as well that you worked with or did
1: you...? No, not really... Um, I worked later on with parents when I ran um, a play bus. Yeah,
0: <laughs> but that's another story. I like the play theme, Olive. That's the yeah, other thing
1: well, the, and but but our play, our adventure playground, was actually open from the age of five to twenty one. Wow! So actually, it, you know, we we kind of um, encountered lots of different groups of young people, mm. and you can see the different needs that they have at different ages and stuff. And I worked there for seven years, so I got to know some of them really, really well, yeah. and some of the big naughty boys. Um, I would never worry about walking up Pecking High Street at eleven or twelve o'clock at night, yeah. Because some of these big naughty boys, they go, "All right, miss," <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
0: and lovely. if anybody
1: said a cross word to me, I was, I was quite safe. I was okay. Yeah. So uh, I really loved that job.
0: That's an amazing job. So yeah. where. Did you, uh, are you from London or do you from up this way? No, I'm
1: from London. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was born Shepherds Bush. Shepherd's
0: Bush. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. So how and, and was that an interest? How did you end up working in that type of job? Was that did you train in anything particularly? Or
1: well, when I first left school, I worked in a bank.
0: Oh my goodness.
1: And and in all seriousness, I've 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 actually got a real. I had no education. Okay, I went to school three days a week. Um, and I'm not really prepared to talk much about that beyond that, okay? But the thing is, everybody's got a story. Yeah, yeah. And uh, education is really important. And I felt I missed out on education. And I always felt if if I'd had the chance of a decent education, I might have been someone one day. Um, So I, by sheer fluke, I got a job in a bank, which I hated... Yeah. And then I saw this uh, in-house service training, as they called it at the time, for the London Adventure Playground Association. And I became a trainee play leader. And that was kind of... Uh, so through a what, bank.
0: Gosh, that's amazing. Yeah,
1: I just saw this advert this day yeah. and uh, it just really appealed to me. And I, just, I was lucky enough to become one of 12 trainees from across London. And... Uh, Learned how to build structures on adventure playgrounds and learnt f- uh, first aid and health and safety and child development and uh, woodwork and all sorts of things on this fantastic course yeah. and then actually ended up uh, managing and running my own playground um, by the age of about 23 and having staff, you know, responsible for fairly large team of staff during Mm. summer holidays and four of the staff during the rest of the year that was really good
0: that's lovely well that sounds like a proper education that covering off all the the bits and so is it the human interactions that you had um that sort of moved you on to that interest and, and passion for working young people or yeah, vulnerable like, people. Or yeah, that? I
1: like working. I, I, I really like working with young people. Yes. Because uh, they're our future. Yeah. And we can impress and influence and inspire and create aspiration if, mm. if we work with them in the right way and make them feel important and valuable, no matter what their circumstances. Um, but also, I had a really good mentor, um, because after I, I left the adventure playground, I went to work on a play bus. <laughs>
0: so, uh, what, and what was the play bus? What... Uh,
1: it, it it ran out. Uh, so, I was taught to drive by London Transport. Um, awesome. A, a double decker um, old <laughs> RT bus with a pre-select gearbox, which is wonderful. Wow. And then uh, myself and a, a guy, we would tour the housing estates around Deptford and. Yep and, you know, again, quite deprived areas. And, um, and we worked with under fives and their parents. But I had a really good boss who taught me how to write funding applications and actually, um, looking back, he actually was, was quite pivotal. I think everybody has that special person. Yeah. And um, he trusted me mm. and he allowed me to make mistakes and to learn from them. And uh, and I think actually he was kind of quite key in me staying within that kind of community development field. Mm. And then after the play bus I worked in a settlement. So I don't know if you're familiar with the settlement movement. In London, mm. there was a movement of settlements. So the settlements is quite an old fashioned uh, community center, really, but often they were linked to the big universities. So like Oxford and Cambridge um, would would support a community yeah. in the East, usually sort of around East London or, in this case, also Peckham, to do good works. Right. And they were very old, you know, sort of... Um, so I ended up working in the settlement movement, which was like local community wow. centres. So I went from the play bus to Pitt Street Settlement. Something slightly more static, yeah. In, in, uh, very static. And uh, worked in... Um, in a drug education project there, mm. and working particularly with women who were tranquilizer users, mm. and um, it was around supporting them, getting off sort of tranquilizers and just changing their lives really, and leaving abusive relationships or whatever. Mm. And then, and that was at the time when um, the whole AIDS thing kicked off. Yes. And uh, so through our so drugs when
0: was that eight mid eighties the eighties yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: so then. Um, the whole kind of AIDS thing kicked off and around, you know, massive. So I was quite involved in that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, where did I go from there? Oh, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Then I went to another settlement in, in Fulham in London, and I was a volunteer coordinator there for many years, mm-hmm. working again with, with people that perhaps had mental health problems or whatever, and then use volunteering as that step, first step back into uh, mm-hmm. employment, but in those days, if you declared that you were doing voluntary work, you'd you'd have your benefits cut. Uh, Whereas now, fortunately, uh, volunteering is seen as a a route into employment. employment, I came to Suffolk 25 years ago and uh, started work with Age UK or age-concerned Suffolk, as I were then, yeah. working with people with dementia and developing services, so mm-hmm. very much service development stuff yeah. and fundraising and all that. Then ended up working after that for the NHS, yeah. which amazed me that I actually got a job working alongside consultants and other important people when I have no education, uh, which rather amused and amazed me. And then in a moment of madness left... <laughs> um, after having done uh, some time with the school for social entrepreneurs yes. and gave my notice in and said this is what i want to do and the
0: rest is history looking back at that all of the people the jobs you've had mm. and the people what is there a, a theme or is there a commonality the, the obvious theme is people, mm. is actually mm. that love of people. Mm. So rather than a specific issue, it's mm. actually mm. the people at the centre mm. of it. Is that fair? Yes, yeah, no,
1: absolutely. I mean, it, it's about making a difference, isn't it? Yeah. And, and, and actually, but not in a patronising, condescending way, no. it's about enabling people to reach their own solutions. And Those projects you
0: describe are very, very practical. Actually, yeah, they very, are. Yeah. yeah,
1: and and building confidence, isn't it? And and mm-hmm. and people and people believing in themselves that they can do whatever they set out to do. Really, yeah. and I know that is very much the behind the work that we do at Lofty Heights with young people. That yeah. actually. Wherever your starting point is, you can change it. Yes. Um. And there's nothing you cannot do. This is my belief. There's nothing okay. you cannot do, uh, From if, any you, point if you if you if you put your mind to it. No, I because I that. think I'm proof of that.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. superb. Yeah. So you are um. You are sort of being, uh, without, sounding too cliched, but you're being the change yourself you're pre- you're showing that and demonstrating very practically
1: well I I just and, think and
0: relate it must give you a unique insight into all of those folk because you, from from the 80s through to now mm. is what 30 it's 40 too long. years yeah
1: too long I'm ready to retire
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe that for a minute will it? um but the amount of insight in, in society and the challenges, and you've got, always got a smile on your face and a willingness to help people. Yeah, that uh, is, yeah. is a is a an amazing journey, really. I had a nice quote the other day, probably on Twitter, probably on in the the social media echo chamber. But um, it said that, the past is ashes future is wood and the present is the fire that we have
1: yeah absolutely Um,
0: which I what I like about that is the transformative nature of it and linking to human you know human suffering and the ending of human suffering and doing the next step and being able to take take control of that next step Um, this is is something that you need other people to do I think often we get stuck thinking we are trapped in one place but actually until you have a touch point and and certainly you know having seen the young lads that you work with that from the beginning when you interview them Mm. and work with them to the end Mm. there is a huge difference which is of their own making oh absolutely very very carefully intelligently facilitated and supported by you and and,
1: but i i just i think if i can do it anyone can do it Because it's not rocket science. It's just about
0: You know what that leads to though, Olive? That leads to us saying, Why the bloody hell aren't they doing it? Well,
1: (laughs) maybe, maybe. But it isn't it isn't rocket science. But I think it's about I mean, again, like I I'm not interested in the bits of paper that you've got or what what qualifications you've got or anything. What I wanna see before me is the will. Yeah, yeah. It's the will, and that if you're given the chance, you'll take it, and you'll embrace the change, and then the rest is up to you. You can do
0: it. Actually, that can we talk a bit about how you induct and work with how you take the young people from their starting point, whatever that may be, to actually being employed by Lofty Heights and working as young professionals? Can you talk me through how you induct them? Because I think it's, uh, it's it, it clicks to what you've just been talking
1: about well what what we do is um go out to the places where young people are so when we've got a job opportunity so six years ago when when i started lofty heights i had no money um i was squatting at the hub uh, thanks to your Always good self and welcome. others yeah. <laughs> um and I had no work, but I had, at that time, four young people that I had uh, promised an opportunity to um, uh, and felt a huge obligation Mm. to. But the journey starts with actually, first and foremost, deciding, in my case, I wanted to give opportunities to neets, you know, young people, 18 to 24. And rather than just put an advert in the job centre, you need to go out to the places where those young people are. Um, And Mm -hmm. again that's my community development really isn't it because you you need to go where the people are and not expect them to come to you. So we do a a round of information sessions um, Mm -hmm. and we tell people basically about Lofty Heights and who we are and the fact we've got no funding and we earn our keep through the work that we do in the community for Mm -hmm. other vulnerable people. And if we don't work we don't get paid
0: yeah
1: um so that's the kind of information sessions, and then you know if people are interested, and we tell obviously people about young people about the opportunities they can have with us yeah. and then, if people wish to sign up there and then they can, so the signing up consists of a very simple application form, yeah. and basically, all I want is your name and address and your contact number uh because for a start that 's enough yeah so. You have to remove the barriers, don't you, of yeah, complicated application forms. Or we know
0: what um, expectations of CV writing and all yeah, that is a, yeah. is a huge barrier for many yeah. people.
1: So then in the past what we've done is actually, um, on two occasions, we actually engaged with Otley College,
0: yep.
1: who ran for us a six-week training programme, mm. which was around things that we need for our business, which is customer service and health and safety, because we crawl around lofts and, um, you know, work with power tools in the garden and and clear, cluttered homes. So health and safety is really important, Um, but also just stuff around customer service. But we also look at what the individual might need, and often, with the young people I choose to engage, Mm. they've got issues around literacy and numeracy, they've not worked before, they've not had any interview skills, training... They lack confidence and self-esteem. So that six weeks, that first six weeks that we engage them, mm. is about re-engaging them in a learning environment. Yeah. And that's why I really liked working with Otley. Um, because once they're back in college, as it were, they can see what other courses are around. So if I can't take them on, they're made aware of other, th- that there are other mm. things. I've noticed
0: um, you also, um, you manage manage it very sort of very clear and very upfront Mm. but within that there is a setting of boundaries for people Mm. because you're all the time communicating the behaviours of of working and what your expectations are of work. Mm. Um, Absolutely
1: because the thing is that whilst we are supportive employers we're not supported employment and I think there's a difference because you see a lot of six-month employment schemes yeah. where there's too much slack given so you've been late because the budgie fell off the perch oh poor you and actually we we go the other way and we say you're expected at a certain time and if you don't turn up we will go off to work without you you don't work that day you don't get paid because actually that's the real world of work. Yeah, yeah 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 um so following our our six weeks at college Um, we then um, give people two weeks work experience with Lofty Heights in the workplace and then at the end of that we will interview again and we give three people paid employment Mm. so we've done this three times now so we know the model works so it's very competitive it's very open, it's very honest it's very frank from the beginning and of course along the way people will drop out but I'm actually really proud of what we do because the very first time round when we did it, it was kind of mm, winging a prayer, you know, okay, seems like it might be a good idea. And we engaged people through the job centre and a coach at the job centre said, because I was really worried about taking 12 people into the course because Otley College said we had to have 12 people to run the course. Um, and I was really worried about that because I am saying, but at the end of the day, the best I've got is offering three people a chance of work. They yeah. said, oh, don't you worry about that. You'll be lucky if at the end of the programme you end up with three people. Mm. I was really proud six weeks later to go back to the coach and say, do you know that I took on 12 people through you yeah. know, the, the training? And I said, we ended up with <laughs> 10. And brilliant. we lost one because at that time they were recruiting games makers for the Olympics and he went off to be one of the volunteers and our course that is
0: very successful because that initiative gave so many people access into events management yeah Um, yeah yeah yeah. and
1: then the other person was very severely dyslexic and the screening that should have happened in terms of picking that up didn't happen and three days into the course he just couldn't cope with the whole classroom thing so that's why we lost two so I was really pleased that we kept ten, and then we interviewed, we interviewed eight because um, there was two lads on the program that one committed a burglary while he was on the course, so he's ruled himself out straight away. Yeah. And um, the burglary
0: was done in a very safe way, of using ladders properly.
1: And especially when yeah. we're working in the homes of vulnerable people, mean, we got very clear, very clear. It Comes back
0: to your this is the reality, this is the world of work, this is the expected behaviours, and that isn't one of them.
1: Yeah. So we interviewed, I think, eight of the group. We gave six uh, two weeks' work experience, and then from there we took on our first team of three. And um, in fact, we took on four that first time, and that was because some counsellors that I was introduced to through the hub... Yes gave us some funding, which meant we could take on four in the short term mm. and um and we had no work whatsoever at that time and our our um, work at that time was about providing the loft emptying service yep. because to address the issues around fuel poverty and people had stuff trapped mm. in the loft, but couldn't get their lofts emptied for the insulation to go in and the insulation
0: so companies wouldn't. Put it, it wouldn't do the, the no. emptying, would they?
1: And so, it was a no-brainer, yeah. wasn't it? You've yeah. got young people that want work and you've got people living in cold homes because yeah. of stuff trapped in the loft. Or, and that's really where Lofty Heights came from.
0: What, what amazed me about that first group of lads, uh, they were all lads, mm. um, was the range of professional skills and the attitude with which they... Uh, that You could say the transformation was remarkable over such a short period of time (coughs) Mm. but they really wanted it and they respected Mm. your structures Mm. and they respected Mm. union they got a fair deal and Mm. it's honest so it's not surprising that they did that but what what did impress me was that it wasn't just about the functionality of getting up a ladder safely and emptying a loft it was the fact that they were smiling and chatting to people in the street, giving out leaflets, Mm -hmm. standing up in front of roomfuls of 50 people talking Mm -hmm. about lofty heights. You know, proper sense of ownership that I Mm. think most large corporate hunting, Mm. you know, graduate trainees would, you know, bite your hand off for that sort of attitude and commitment and confidence from young people. And you achieved it over a relatively short space of time. So if you renamed your programme sort of, uh, I don't know, the anti-graduate trainee programme. <laughs> you're, you're making such wonderful, employable people out of that, that process. So, but there is something in there, I think, that that it needs to be learnt generally. And it's a creative message about how we solve problems in society. You know, there is not just a straightforward A plus B equals C approach. Um, and those... In influential positions, whether they're business leaders or whether they're councils, you know, opening up a little bit to some of the social enterprise creativity, to to mean that you can create that that very meaningful pathway into employment and uh, into futures that those young people are in control the, of.
1: That's one of the things I'm kind of disappointed in, um, yeah. in a way, because I see lofty heights as an escalator.
0: Yes, that's it. And um, the
1: yeah. the the thing is that. I'm quite prepared to spend 18 months knocking the rough edges off, off of young people mm. um, and get them very, very employable yeah. and in the nicest possible way, spit them out of the top of the yeah. escalator. But well, they are thoroughly into employable, are Other employers. And I think that's where I'm kind of disappointed in a way um, because I'm hearing all of the time people talk about the skill shortage in Suffolk and how many job vacancies people have got, and all the rest of it. And actually, um, okay, in our case at the moment, um, it's very kind of manual-type labour, although I've got two lads with me that have been with me from the beginning, and one is working in a team leader role.
0: Yes. And
1: he would make a fantastic support worker in housing or whatever, Mm. but he hasn't got the paper qualifications um, that might be re- required.
0: Um, okay, Olive, what, what, what would you say to employers, because there's a lot of employers in this part of the world, um, about being able to make the processes easier to access some of the folk that you work with?
1: Um, one of the things is about, let's start to take down some barriers. Okay, and so one of the barriers I see now is the fact that a lot of jobs these days you've got to apply online. Now, if your literacy and numeracy is not brilliant, but you make a really good manual worker, for example, um, let's remove those barriers by saying, let's not worry about the application form. Mm. Actually, let's see what we've got before us and maybe give people some work trials or even some paid work trials.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Um, And... And then you can see whether that person's right for your business or not. Because I have a plea to suffer. Let's grow our own. We've yeah. got tons of opportunities coming up with size well, um, big um, mm. building projects. You yeah. know, um, massive housing developments um, that are in the pipeline.
0: And agri- agriculturally, potentially post Brexit, you know, we may not be getting the influx of, of manual workers. Yeah, you can take up those posts.
1: Absolutely. So, and and again, I suppose, lofty heights is a small organisation, but maybe a good example of how if you remove some of those barriers, yeah. that actually, we are evidence that we're growing our own because, we've got a team of, young people now that are no longer the frightened boys that joined us, but working men, yes. and are working men, yeah. are core to my business. Um, and have helped me to grow the business and are in an extremely loyal workforce and that's all because that we've just made things we've invested time and energy in these individuals over a period of time Um, but I think potentially if Lofty Heights was here in 10 years time um, I think we could still potentially have some of that core group with us not because they're dependent on us, but because they feel invested in the business.
0: Yes, and they want to see it grow. And they're also invested in the mission, which is what every good employer wants. They want workers who are, who are working for that purpose that they're set up to do and are willing to um, give a good account of themselves, which you, you've you clearly helped young people to draw out of themselves. I think the... in And for businesses, I suppose... If you want a team of, say you're looking to recruit a team of six um, people to work, some sort of manual thing, the cost that you pay to put that out through an agency or whether the proportion cost, if it's a bigger deal with an agency, for that same amount of money, you could probably actually adjust your operations, give people work trials, supervised work trials. Oh, absolutely. And you would do that fundamental thing which you're doing, which I think the kind of paper-based online recruitment process doesn't do very well, is face-to-face, one-to-one. You're employing... People employ people. People, good employees, are, you know, are human beings that you've built a relationship with. So if you offer a work trial, you get that insight straight away, and it's got nothing to do with 20 pages of CV. You know, so I think... That, what you're saying, is is hugely pertinent for the wider workforce, actually.
1: Because you want to look at potential. You know, is this person potentially mm. right for yeah. my business?
0: Potentially right for your business. And if you are have a, such a high staff turnover because you're recruiting through a, a, a computer system, mm. you're meeting the people, they've got the qualifications, but they don't, they're, not, they're not committed to the actual job... Mm. You could be wasting an awful lot of time, whereas mm. you know investing that time to just build a relationship, suss people out from day one. Your mm. filtering me- mechanism for employees is much more sophisticated, and a- attuned to what you're really looking for, which are the not just the practical skills, are they? They're the, the non-verbals and the behaviours,
1: and and it's the the loyalty and also been ambassadors for for your business yeah. um, because because of they feel invested in the business and want to see it succeed. So I think we just need to change our thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's brilliant. Thanks, Olive. (laughs) Um, So can you tell me a bit now uh, about the, the Lofty Heights business model? How does it work as a business? So we've talked a lot about the social impact, which is tremendous. Um. What about the business how does it work at the moment
1: well the business model is i mean there's two there's two sides to lofty heights one is we've talked about the employment and training opportunities for young people but but the other thing is that we don't get any grant funding and we have to we have to earn our keep um through the services we provide in the community and it happens to be to other vulnerable people Mm. So we talked a little bit about our loft emptying service um, and we've recently got a contract for a 12-month pilot project with the local NHS to facilitate hospital discharges. And we do that by moving furniture around in the home to create space for a hospital bed yep. or other you know, assistive technology to, to come into the home. And we started this um, officially in July, but we've been doing this for the last several years. Anyway. But, but put a yeah. business case, because a block bed in Ipswich Hospital costs £400 a day, and a person's not going to block a bed for a day. And if they're stuck in a bed simply because there's no one to move furniture around in the home, yeah. um, we, we, we saw a problem, we made, you know we made a suggestion around a solution, and we've assisted 45 um, hospital discharges since July. Wow. Um, so our business model really is around that we provide services in the community that people buy from us. Yeah. And probably 80% of the work we do now is, is decluttering homes and working in very hoarded properties. So, yeah. you know, you might see those programmes on the television about the hoarder yeah. next door. Where we're actually working with people like that. And that's, is that
0: mainly with the housing associations?
1: No, it's all over. So we get... Private clients as well? And we get private clients, we get worried relatives that perhaps live... Um, we recently had um, an inquiry from a family member who lives in New York wow. and whose uh, elderly parent has dementia and is living in a, in a hoarded property, mm. uh, is becoming very problematic on many different levels and uh, we got commissioned to to go and do do some work with that individual um we get a number of referrals through social workers and social services um we get referrals through housing um officers um through other support agencies in the voluntary sector um and you know individuals themselves so you have to have a mixed bag and not be dependent on any one income stream one customer yeah um because uh, you know at the moment you know if we just take the the cuts that have been announced recently by the county council if you've got all your eggs in one basket you could potentially not be around in 12 months time and also we constantly scan the horizon in terms of what other work potential is there that's related to our core yeah so we don 't end up with that mission creep yeah. because we 're chasing the pots of money all the time, yes because that can be dangerous, mm. but actually creating warmer he- healthier safer homes yes is our core, and actually there 's lo- quite a lot of opportunities around it
0: because you've you 've been quite creative about moving the service or, or creating services, but within that you have yeah. stuck to your core, but when you first started. There was the focus on loft emptying, yeah. whereas now decluttering, um, yeah. and you know bed, hospital bed yeah. safety is, is
1: and we do garden clearances as well. Yeah, so we're not gardeners and we don't provide a regular gardening service, although we have been asked to do that. Yeah, but what we do is we do that we tame that untamed garden, um that's got out of control, mm. and we've done an awful lot of work with family carers. And that's quite interesting that where some people, for example, they've had beautiful gardens, uh, they then become a twenty four seven carer. They can't get out in the garden, the garden yeah. gets overgrown, that person then feels really depressed. Yeah. You know, it's all that kind of loss and regret and stuff that mm. goes. And um if we tame the garden then a regular gardener can come in behind us and we do the same with some of our very cluttered homes that have got into a real model maybe because of long-term illness or whatever Uh, so we do that initial deep clean and clean through and then a regular cleaner can come in behind us because they don't want to do that really dirty grimy work that we're prepared to do
0: Olive Quinton from Lofty Heights for sharing her personal entrepreneurial journey and giving us a real insight into how Lofty Heights has been established and how it works. If you're a social entrepreneur, you can draw huge confidence in the way that Olive has operated, her resilience and her determination and her caution in a world where people are throwing social investment loans at you, left, right and centre. Olive has stuck to her guns and made some super intelligent decisions. You can find more about Lofty Heights and get in touch with them at capital L Lofty underscore capital H Heights or you can get in touch with the podcast at capital P podcasts number four S-O-C-E-N-T or get in touch with me at Chacks on Twitter. I have taken to doing a little bit of consultancy for social entrepreneurs. So if you'd like to find more information out about that, do not hesitate to get in touch. And thank you so much for listening to Podcasts for Social Entrepreneurs.